Hello and welcome to St Matt's Church. St Matt's is a warm and welcoming church situated in High Brooms on the edge of Tunbridge Wales in Kent. You can find out more about our church by visiting our website www.stmattschurch.org.uk Jesus welcomed everyone that came to him and we want to follow that example. So we extend a warm welcome to everyone, young or old, male or female, parent or child. You are welcome at St Matt's. No matter what your circumstances, we want to encourage you to join us, be that physically in the building or via our Facebook page, YouTube channel or through this podcast. You are very welcome. This autumn, we have a series of talks about finding God in the different stages of life. And today we hear Carol speak on finding God whilst in the sandwich generation. Lord, we just pray that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so we receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. Amen. And Lord God, we just thank you that you do lead us through every season of our lives until you do lead us home. And Father, we come to you now and we just ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond to what you want to say to us now. Amen. Thank you. Do have a seat. Thank you, band. Worship, just so lovely, so appropriate to what I'm going to say. So thank you. So good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Carol. I'm married to Chris, who's the vicar here. Um, And today we're carrying on the season, looking at, sorry, the season of talks, looking at finding God in different seasons of life. And today I'm going to be looking at the sandwich generation. Um, And just to sort of highlight that, for the first time ever, I am using an iPad to speak from. (laughs) And it's not even my iPad, it's Chris's iPad, because he's got a bigger iPad than mine. So I have got a paper copy here if it does go wrong. But just bear with me, (laughs) bear with me if um, it all goes. So I'm also not used to using my finger to move it all up. So what is the sandwich generation? It's that generation of people that are sandwiched between their parents and their children. For the most of the time, it works really well because I know if you're in that middle person, you've got your parents above you who can help you out with all the decorating, do the cooking for you, help with the childcare if you've got children, give you lots of advice. Um, and you know, it, it's really, really helpful. But then it comes to being perhaps moves on to a different time where your parents start needing some help and your children are also quite demanding and needing help and support too. And you can find yourself stuck in the middle trying to juggle everything. So just bring that that picture back up again. 
I love this picture. It's, it's great. There, there are you, or there am I. There, the person is sandwiched in that middle, one side with your elderly parents, poking at you one side with their olive stick, and then the other, your kids are pushing against you, and there you are, squeezed in. What do you do? It's been described as you lying in the middle of a not-so-delectable sandwich, caring for book-end generations as best you can, with little left over physically, mentally, financially, or emotionally for yourself. A few facts. It's mostly made up of middle-aged adults, mostly from Generation X between the ages of 40 to 59. Although, according to the Pew Research Centre survey, 19% are millennials younger than 40, and at least 10% are older than 60. So today, I just want to share with you, I guess, my own experience, my own story of being in that sandwich generation. I think it was the day I visited my mum in Burswood, convalescent hospital, you may know it in, in um, Greenbridge, probably in, July, in January 1999, that it first hit me. I'd taken Daniel, our son, to school. He was probably, I think he was in, uh, in reception or year one then. Put Karis, who was about 18 months, down for her nap and left her asleep with Chris, knowing that she'd be asleep for about an hour and a half, and I had an hour and a half to rush to Burswood, see my mum and get back. She had just had major surgery for bowel cancer, although we didn't know it was cancer at the time, and she was recuperating there. And when we got there, we decided that we would go for a walk. And if any of you know, know Burswood, there was a large front doors, and I remember walking out those large front doors, and um, my mum saying, sorry, it's going to be quite emotional, this, this talk. Um, I remember my mum, I was walking, my mum, you know, I want to admit it, but, you know, um, I walked out and suddenly she pulled my arm and she said, can I have your arm? I thought, but you never need anything from me. You know, it sounds like nothing, can I have your arm? But she'd never said to me, can I, can I hold your arm? I need your arm in order to be able to walk. This is the first time it, things had really changed from me. I'd always known needed my mum. She'd been there for me. And suddenly there had been this shift. Now she needed me. And yet, you know, my mum had always been this very strong, stolic person. She didn't need anyone. She did everything. She, although as a child, she, she had to grow up and be very independent. She didn't need anyone. Um, and even in the lead up to that operation, when she had, you know, had to go for investigations and things, I guess it'd been quite blase about it. Probably had our heads, head in the sands, really, because um, we just thought everything would be all right, because everything always was okay. But, um, no, sadly, it, it wasn't. And so over the next six years, my mum went through the normal stages of cancer treatments, the remissions, the recurrence. My visits to her, she lived in London, uh, increased, and her visits to us decreased. There were the early mornings for me um, so that I could get to London to go with her to her hospital appointments and then try and rush back to get back to school to pick up the children or rely on others to pick them up for me. There was the watching of her gradual deterioration and being powerless to do anything. 
I remember one time leaving my mum's house and just saying goodbye to her. And just as I was walking out the door, she said to me, I don't want to die. Like, what do you do with that as you walk out the door? Um, now, I was astounded. I was shocked. I can't even remember what I said. I probably said something stupid like, of course you're not going to die, which of course wasn't ever going to be true. But, you know, it's those sort of things that many a time when I left my mum's, um, oh, my dad's, it, I'd have to go and find somewhere to park up just to process that day. And then there was managing my dad. They, they, were, they were together. Um, and during that time, he, he didn't know how to cope either. And he was probably in the initial stages of dementia at the time. And at that time, again, I was you know, juggling children, home, church, and the normal stuff that goes on. When my mum died, because coping with my own, uh, besides coping with my own grief, there was the children's grief to cope with and my dad to consider. And I guess like most of us, we put ourselves aside and we concentrate on looking after everybody else. My dad had never looked after himself before. He didn't even know how to put a kettle on. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he had tried to step up to the mark as my mum grew, um, grew iller, but he was not good on his own. And I won't go into all the ins and outs of what happened, but he caused us a lot of concern uh, around relationships. <laughs> and at the same time, our children were trying to make sense of all of this, so much so that we all ended up in family therapy or under CAMS for a year to try and process all that was going on. At the same time, Chris's parents moved from the Isle of Wight to live with us in Southwood, which was great, but it just felt like we didn't have, we were totally torn because we couldn't give everything that we needed to everybody else. And I think I felt a bit like this picture that's coming up now. Totally, totally stretched. So many going, things going on pulled in different ways. The thing is, this season doesn't just last for a little while. The build-up to my mum's death was six years. My dad's decline with dementia and prostate cancer was another 12 years. And so it lasted approximately 20 years, if you include my in-laws. And over that time, our, our children became from young children into teenagers and, and left home. And we were not exempt from the joyful teenage issues and all the worries and concerns that brings. My dad became increasingly difficult to manage. We had to organise and not only deal with him, but his carers and our own emotions as we saw him deteriorate as well. The crises became more frequent and they lasted longer each time. Each time we would think, can it get any worse? And each time somehow his deteriorated state became the new norm until the next crisis. And each time you question, how much more can we take? Alongside that, we watched our teenagers making some choices that were unwise. They got involved in very tricky relationships. They engaged in very risky behaviours. And again, we felt very powerless to change and to do anything about. 
when I sort of reflect on this, it just reminds me of that picture, if you can just put the next slide up, of transactional analysis, where it looks at the different, the, our different states, if you like, parent, adult, and child. And if you put, think of yourself as one side, and perhaps, you know, I would say my mum or my parents on one side and me on the other, when we're first born, now, the parent relates to us as a child, and it's quite simple there, the parent with the child, it's, it's normal, it's fine. And then as we get older, we perhaps relate to each other more on that adult-to-adult -adult level. But then it seems to get to that point where they become the child and we become the adult, and it just does not feel right, but that is, is how it becomes. And you know that although it is just for a season, you know at the end of this season, it's loss, it's not gonna get better, and you become an orphan. Oh my goodness, is it all doom and gloom? <laughs> no, no it's not. Yes, there were incredible, sad, difficult times, heart-wrenching times, but also interdispersed with light moments, fun, and joy, and we did really try to make the best of it. So when my mum had her oncology appointments, we, I would always go up early with her to the hospital and they had a canteen there and we'd always have this great, terribly unhealthy, cooked breakfast together. When my mum was at Burswood, it was great, it was so near, I could go and visit her every day. We had a great time really getting to know, no, we knew each other already, but just, um, just, just talking and I'm sure that's where she found her face. My dad had always been very busy as I was growing up. He was, we were never partic particularly close um, and he'd certainly never been around much. And so with his dementia, it did mean that we, started, we had to spend much more time with him. Not perhaps as the adult-to-adult -adult relationship that would have been nice to have had, more the me being the adult and, or the parent and him being the child, but still we had ways of connecting and and we got to know each other in a different sort of way. Just through things like being in the garden. He loved to be in the garden. He loved to pick fruit. He picked the fruit that wasn't ripe, but we picked fruit. And then as I cut the grass, he would open the bin and I would put the grass cuttings in. And he'd go every day for a walk to get his paper and I'd go with him. You know, if you knew my dad who had been before his dementia, absolutely nothing like that he'd never have done any of those things and yet at the end that was what he was like and we were able to have a relationship through that and for Daniel and Caris too because with my dad they were they were older they were involved in his care they would go and stay with him they'd help him in the garden they'd take him for walks they'd play games with him and they were both great at distracting him when he became stubborn or difficult. And they also, uh, you know, as you very well remember, Chris's parents, they were great with, um, with Ron and Ethel as they grew older. So I share my journey um, through these years, and I could share masses more. 20 years is quite hard to put into a few minutes, uh, which have now passed um, to share that this season is something that many of us, most of us, will experience or have experienced, but perhaps society doesn't really acknowledge the impact that it has on us. The pain, the grief, the frustration, the turmoil, the despair, and yet glimmers of light and hope that come through it. And that's why I chose this uh, reading in, in 2 Corinthians 4, because it, that picture of those jars, um, treasure in jars of clay, just reminded me of trying to protect my, both my children and my parents, they being like the treasures in jars of clay, so fragile 
and yet so precious, juggling them on each side, just trying to keep them upright, trying to keep them safe, trying to prevent them from crashing. And then trying to do that, yet alongside in verse 8, where it says we're hard-pressed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So many times I felt those emotions. Hard-pressed, I did feel crushed, perplexed, and I did feel in despair, persecuted, Sadly, I did, <laughs> um, uh, and, and abandoned all those things, but we weren't destroyed. We, did, we came through. God is faithful. And then in verse 16, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. I knew that God was there and enabling me and us to carry on. Seeing our parents waste away, yet knowing there was that possibility and that prospect, um, the prospect of eternity. And for our children, you know, seeing them potentially wasting their lives away, doing things that were not helpful, but knowing that God would use this for good, and um, even if it didn't feel like it at the time. And I just held on to the words of verse 18, which is, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We don't understand what's going on. We just have to trust. So to end, I just wanted to share some things that, you, that I found helpful in that journey that may be of use to others, really. Making memories as much as possible. Now, we made memories of my dad, the picking of the fruit, the going for walks, now, if you talk to me 40 years ago about doing that with my dad, I would never, ever, you know, never would have been the sort of thing. We've been going to dinner and dances and lunches and things, not picking fruit and putting, opening the bin for me to put grass in. But making memories for where you are at this time. Doing a lot of driving. I did a lot of driving at that time. Drove him around because he loved going out for a drive and seeing the countryside as long as he didn't try and open the door as we were driving. <laughs> um, but, and also with our children, because you have both ends, don't you? We did a lot of driving with our teenagers. They all seemed to have friends that were miles and miles away. And so we did a lot of driving. And it's a great opportunity to, to talk to them. We went to lots of tea shops, national trust places, um, and say so even just down to the, the picking of the fruit. I have some sort of fond memories, and you, they're a bit strange memories, really. But there was one occasion when my dad went out for a walk and, and got lost. And he didn't know what to do, so he saw um, a, a pizza delivery man, and he said to, it must have said to him, you know, he was lost, and fortunately could remember his address. And so this pizza delivery man arrived at, uh, at my dad's front door, rang the doorbell, and rather than delivering a pizza, delivered my dad. <laughs> so, absolutely amazing. Great, lovely, lovely man um, that done that. So very grateful. God, no, God is out there looking after our folks, even though we're not there. And there was another time when I took him to a stately home near our house and, and we were in this very posh dining room with this lovely tea service out on the table and my dad started to make these sort of swishing noises in his mouth and I'm going oh my goodness he started to reach towards one of these beautiful bone china cups and I had to quickly distract him because he was going to spit into it <laughs> so they're fun memories really probably not so fun at the time um, what I really 
um, appreciated so much with church and support networks. Though during my mum's illness, I was part of the worship group, and um, very often before I'd have to go up to my mum's place, we'd have worship practice, and um, and they were just so great at praying for me and making me just feel so held uh, because I knew that they they cared and um, and just prayed. So I say use your support networks to share, to talk and get people to pray with you. There was another time when someone just said to me, oh, how was your mum? And I just turned around and said to her, I've lost my mum. She's not, she's not a mum anymore. And just being able to say those things is just so helpful because the things that are inside us that we just need to get out. Prayer and worship Many worship songs became my prayers, particularly in all those long drives. Um, and they were particularly actually for our children. Um, as they navigated that, the tempestuous seas of teenage years, I played worship in my, all my car journeys. Um, and then also listened to lots and lots of CDs and used every situation, particularly the M25 delays, for that. Journaling, I'd recommend just writing down what you feel. Sometimes you can't share what's going on, but just getting out, off of your brain onto paper means it's not just constantly going round your head all the time. I was very fortunate in that I have a very good relationship with my brother and sister, and we worked really well together in looking after uh, my parents at different stages. My brother took over, in a way, the financial side. I took over the health side. And my sister did all the researching for everything. So if you are able to do that, dividing out the roles is great. Make sure parents have got power of attorney, or you've got power of attorney for, for parents. Wills have been done. And just keep having frequent discussions about what needs to happen next, so that when it comes, you're prepared. For example, we had to redo my dad's house, which... Um, which caused, uh, yeah, caused him a lot of upset, but in order to ensure that he could have the care that he needed. Use all the supportive organisations that you can. Um, the Alzheimer's Society were absolutely brilliant. Macmillan nurses for my mum. Um, occupational therapy, get the GP to come and assess the home so that you can get all the things that you need. Groups, clubs, singing, dancing really helped my dad. Just take whatever you can. And in slide nine, please. Look after yourself. And I wanted to put a man in here because it's not just all women that are caught with this. It's the men as well. So it's couples and men and women. So look after yourself. You can, as we said, feel so torn or feel so squeezed. But we need to look after ourselves spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, as that first quote was talking about. Be kind to yourself. You cannot do everything for everybody. You can only do so much. And do try and do nice things with your parents and children, whatever situation, however nice or easy it is, try and do some nice things with them. Now, often at this time, you can be at the peak of your career or you're wanting to get back into your career. So it's quite a tricky time for you as well. For me, I went back into health visiting five years before my dad died. So I had the extra things of having to do a return to practice course, as well as juggling him um, and the children and, and everything else. Have focus time with your children um, and with your partner. It's very easy if you've got one member, now often it is, it was for us, my, well actually no, <laughs> both ends were, had their tricky times, but um, 
for example, if it's your parents that are you're particularly worried about, sometimes your children can sort of get forgotten about. So whichever ones perhaps you're not quite so intentionally working on, to spend some time with them. Karis and I used to go for spa days to Flatley Ash Hotel down in Peasmarsh. For £10, you can spend the day there in the pool, in the spa. Absolutely great. And then we'd have tea. Just a lovely way to spend time together. With Daniel, it was more doing the physical things, tennis, going for walks. They were great, both great going shopping with. And Chris and I would always try and get away each year together. There is, as far as I'm aware, no easy way to transition through this stage, especially if parents need a lot of support. And we are so used to our parents supporting us and helping us with our children that it's a great shock when they're not there to do the do-it-yourself, the sewing, the cooking, and giving advice when we need it. The tables are turned and we need to support them. However, I appreciate that for each of us, our journeys may well be different and your experience may not be like mine. One of the books that I found really helpful whilst thinking about this talk is Pete Gregg's book, uh, God on Mute. And it's really helpful if you're struggling with any situation, but so relevant to the caring sandwich generation where you know there is no answers, but there is hope. And one quote I'm just going to end on is this one from a 19th century rabbi. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. But it's up there. God speaks to us through people. He speaks to us through doctors and nurses who work so hard to heal and help us. Through children who ask for a bedtime story. Through friends who know how to make us laugh and when to sit in silence. And through the preacher at church the documentary on television, and the song on the radio. We expect God's voice to be unmistakable, a rumbling revelation, or an insistent inner whisper. Yet for those with the ears here, he often speaks most eloquently through the commonplace actions of ordinary, unwitting people. And I think that just highlights that we all have a place to care and support each other. Often we are, just without even realising that, we ask just a simple question and the other person, you don't realise what effect that has on that other person. So I just say keep in mind, check in with each other um, and know that we are not alone. I don't know if... Uh, You've been able to relate to any of my story. If, if it does relate to any of you or it sort of rings bells true with how you're feeling or something you're going through at the moment, then I would love to pray with you, um, particularly for those that are in the sandwich generation, whether you're feeling stretched or squeezed or just finding that whole situation challenging. So what I'm going to ask us to do, if you would like to, in a minute, is if you are going through those situations of being pulled by parents and children, then I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and then ask those around you just to reach out to, as a way of just showing that you are standing with them and supporting them. And then I will just pray over us. So... If that is you, if you are in that situation of feeling in the sandwich, that meat in the sandwich, where you have children that you 
are looking after, you have parents that you're also concerned with, then feel free just to raise your hand. And I would just ask those that are around those people, you might just have to look, some of the hands are quite low. If you are around, just please stretch out a hand, just turn round so that you know who's there. Father God, you, you know what each person here is going through. You know the pain, you know the suffering, you know the dilemmas, the confusion, the doubts. Have we made the right decision, haven't we? What should we do? The blank walls trying to deal with agencies and telephone uh, lines that never get answered. Lord, you know all the, the tiny, minute details as well as the bigger picture. And so, Father, we, we just bring each person here who is in that place to you and pray that as those arms reach out to them, that they would know that you are on their case, that you are surrounding them with your love that they would know your wisdom and your guidance each step that they take. That there would be hope. That, Lord, you would each day give golden nuggets, no matter what size, just tiny golden nuggets, that they would know that you are there with them. Even if it's just a penny on the floor, on the pavement, just as a sign that you are there with them. Thank you, Lord, that, that you understand. Um, Lord, we pray just for that hope and the glory of what you are going to bring. Bring us through. And Father, the rest of us, would we be that supportive people, that supportive family to each one of us. Amen. This is not by someone
I'm behind you, I'm beside you, all around you, I'm within you, He is with you, He is with you, in the morning, in the evening, and you're coming, and you're going, in your weeping, and rejoicing, He is for you, He is for you. Amen. Amen.